Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Saturday, September the 9th, 2023, although in New Zealand it's Sunday, September the 10th, where my guest is, and uh, my guest is quite a distinguished figure, unusual character. Lang Liav um, was born in a refugee camp in Thailand uh, where her parents were seeking uh, refuge from the Khmer Rouge regime in Cambodia. Then her family uh, migrated to Australia. She now lives in New Zealand. Uh, she's well known around the world, both as uh, the instigator of a cult fashion label, Akina, and now is a very popular poet. Her, poet has sold, uh, her, her poetry has sold extremely well. And um, most interestingly today, she has a new book out. Uh, it's called Others Were Emeralds. Uh, it's a first novel or a first adult novel. And as I said, she's joining us from Auckland in New Zealand. Congratulations, Lang, on the new book. Thank you, Andrew, and thanks for having me on your show. Uh, I, I want to get into your, your story because it's a very unusual one, uh, one Lang, uh, later. Mm -hmm. But you made your name, at least in publishing circles, as a poet. Mm -hmm. why, why the novel? Why not just continue with, uh, with the poetry? Um, I, I think it was just something that um, it would just felt like such a natural progression for me in, in terms of um, I was writing longer prose pieces. I was always writing short stories and essays and what have you. Um, so, yeah, it just seemed like an, a natural progression. Um, I always wanted to write about what it was like to grow up in the time that I did, which was a very seminal period in, in Australia's history. Um, my family and I were the first wave of immigrants to actually um, grow up in Australia. So, so um, that, that's what my book, Others Were Emeralds, is, is based on. And um, it was just something that, as I said, it was, um, it was just a natural progression. Is it? And, and, and excuse, excuse this question, I'm sure many people have asked it already. <laughs> And it's a rather crude question for a novelist, but is is the, is the novel quite autobiographical? Um, well, there definitely are elements that are taken from my life, but um, I wouldn't say that the narrative is autobiographical. Um, it's obviously um, a completely fictional, um, but yeah, there there are definitely bits and pieces I've taken from my own life, like with um, every author, and um, there are stories, um, especially. From my mother, she was um, she survived the Khmer Rouge regime, and yep, the, the book is peppered with with um, her stories. The book is a novel about being a refugee. You you've had that experience. How would you define the experience for people who haven't been refugees? Well, I think it was. Um, I, I think it would be different for every refugee, and um, you know, everyone has their own set, unique set of circumstances. Um, for my family personally, we arrived in Australia in the late seventies, um, and and I was only a, a baby then. 
And this was like only um, less than a decade from the abolishment of the white Australia policy. So we were the first wave of Asian immigrants to, to grow up in Australia. Um, and uh, my generation was the first. And as you can imagine, Australia back in the 90s, um, we, we just looked completely different from every other immigrant. Um, and to make matters worse, the settlement, which my novel is based on, um, Cabramatta, th there were a lot of problems just because we were all thrown into this um, into this area, and um, there was there was no real help. Um, you know, everyone was had come from war torn countries. They were suffering from PTSD. They had seen horrific things. So there were a lot of problems in our immediate community. So what you saw in the news all the time was um, just you know gang violence, drugs. Um, yeah, it, it was just um, just awful. So sorry about that. The book itself, as I said, is called um, Others Were Emeralds. Mm -hmm. uh, the book is about being a refugee in Australia. It's a book about both the hope and also the intolerance of Australia. Um, you live in New Zealand now. Is there a great deal of difference between Australia and New Zealand when it comes to the experience of refugees? I think because they were very different times. I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. Um, I came to New Zealand in the late 2000s. And um, I suppose racism is always a present thing. I, I think if I was um, looking at it from a personal point of view, it, there definitely is more tolerance now. And I think it, that's just because uh, the world has gotten a lot smaller, as you know, with the internet um, and, and this, this more sense of globalism. So it's, it's not so strange seeing, seeing an Asian person as, as it was back in the 90s um, for Australians. But, of course, the world that you're writing about, at least in the novel, is a world of intolerance, of hostility yes. to people's external mm -hmm. appearance. Tell me a little bit about both the fiction and the fact of racism towards uh, immigrants in Australia in the 90s? Well, um, like I said, just um, politically, there, there was a, um, a, a party known as no Na One Nation. Um, they still exist today. Um, and a politician named Pauline Hanson. And in, in the mid-90s, she actually made a speech. And it, I still remember being, um, I think I was 15 or 16 at the time, and seeing, seeing it um, read in Parliament and um, she, she basically said that we were being swamped by Asians. And then it continued on with a lot of um, anti-Asian rhetoric. And um, I, I think that just made a huge difference. Overnight there was this almost explosion of racism and it, it was something that was being talked about in the media. And I, there was this, this feeling of, of being unsafe and um, being a child at the time, I... I was, my friends and I were actually worried that, um, you know, there's a possibility that that perhaps we were going to be um, kicked out of our country, um, so to speak. And it, it seems ridiculous now to think about it, but I, I think it's because my parents came from a background, um, you know, where they had to flee their country. And um, we, we definitely got that sense um, at the time. The novel is about young people. Is mm -hmm. there a... Do you think uh, in your experience, both as a writer and as someone who came as a, a very young child, is there a difference in the way in which people like yourself who were born into immigrant families and the parents who came, 
dealt with the experience of race and racism in Australia? Well, I think, um, well, I wasn't born in, in um, Australia, but I came when I was quite young. And I think because of that, I was able to, to learn the language um, and settle into, to, um, you know, in, into Australian life, so to speak. Um, and, you know, I went to school and I, I read um, books. Um, so I, I think from, for my generation, um, there, and there was a sense that, you know, we wanted to fit in, we wanted to be Australian, but then we were often told that we were not. And then there was the definite language barrier between um, our parents um, and, and the ideas that they had, um, that I had, they had taken from a completely different culture and, and, and they'd sort of replicated it here um, because that was all they knew. So absolutely, it was, um, it was definitely um, a case of just juggling between two worlds and um, always just not really fitting into either one. There's a great deal of difference, though, between a culture of racism which is obviously extremely unpleasant and unnerving, and the experience of, 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 of what your parents and others went through with the Khmer Rouge. Do you think that some of your parents' generation were less affected by the racism that greeted them, if that's the right word, in, in, in Australia or New Zealand? Well, here in Australia, um, it was pretty hostile. Um, I mean, we had eggs thrown, thrown at us. Um, I'm, I'm not sure you had a chance to read Others Were Emeralds, but some of some of the situations are described in the book. Um, you know, they're taken from real life. For example, I remember it was the bicentenary in Australia, which was being celebrated as Australia's birthday, and it's a complex day um, because it was obviously um, the, the day of the invasion. Um, and I remember being an eight-year-old girl and on the ferry and um, being spat on. Um, and yeah, I was just sit I was standing at the railing. I had a little Australian flag in my hand, um, and all of a sudden, it was just this massive glob of spit that just landed on my hand. And I just remember turning, turning around in shock. And um, there was just a group of men just um you know staring at me and I still remember the expressions on their faces and they were just filled with hatred and th that's just something that it's one of my earliest memories and and that's just something that I thought was completely normal um growing up and if I was to step outside of um you know my um, immediate hometown um that there definitely would be some kind of a racial altercation. Lang what kind of Adult grown men, if they were adult grown men, would spit on an eight-year-old girl. Why would they do yeah. that? Well, there was a lot of anti-Asian um, sentiment at the time, in the 80s especially. Um, like I said earlier, us looking so, so different to, to um, you know, the typical, um, you know, Australian, which was the, you know, the beach blonde, um, the, the macho guy, um, and and I and that was just a, a thing that we were seen as almost like subhuman. There, you know, there were um, the, the media was perpetuating it. That there, there were all these um, quizzes and things asking asking whether or not we should be sent back home um, now that the war was over. It was just a it was just a standard thing, unfortunately, in those days. And um, it wasn't the first time I, I've had grown men throw slurs at me. It, it was just a a common thing, unfortunately. 
Yeah, it's still hard to, to understand how a grown man would mm. throw an egg or insult yeah. or spit at an eight-year-old girl. And what you went yeah. through was probably reasonably typical for young Asian women, or for that matter, oh. men. I, I'm guessing the, 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 the men and the boys would have experienced probably something even worse. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, there was a case that I remember where um, uh, a close family friend of ours, her um, son was was beaten up on the train um, on, on the ride home from work. And I just remember being a little girl and going to visit the family and he was he was sitting like on the floor in in the middle of the lounge room and he had a blanket wrapped around him and it was just the most haunting thing and it, it's something that still haunts me to this day and it, it's just a horrible thing and it's just one of those things that you you can't really believe um especially looking back now in hindsight um how terrible it was but it, it just was the norm it's hard growing up. Again, you don't need me to tell you this. You're, you're a children's, uh, you're a very successful writer of children's literature and, po and poetry, um, particularly in, in that kind of atmosphere. The novel deals with adolescence and awkwardness and safety. How did it affect both you and, and the fictional characters in Others Were Emeralds to grow up in such a, a racially hostile environment? What does it do to you? Well, it's almost like you are in two worlds, and that's what I really wanted to show with my novel in that, um, that my characters are, you know, they're, they're concerned with, with things such as, um, you know, they, get, they have school crushes, they're concerned with their friends and, and how they're perceived and all, all the really normal things um, that teenagers are concerned with. But at the same time, they had, they had all this other stuff going on in the background. Um, they, they had this um, almost sense of fear, almost sense that they were different, that they, they didn't belong. Um, and, and it was something that was parroted back at us all the time. This isn't your country. You don't belong here. And, um, yeah, I, I suppose it, it really does have an effect on you. And um, I, I think for me personally, it has eroded a lot of my confidence. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's just one of those things. The book is partly a polemic. It's about fighting the notion that history is bound to repeat itself. What do you, I mean, novels are, of course, novels. They're not, they're works of art rather than, Mm -hmm. manifestos but yeah. many novels are, are also trying to make their own argument one way or the other what are you trying to suggest about the experience of racism in australia and immigration in your book i think that i just i set out to write it as authentically as as what i possibly could um i don't really want to have an agenda or um you know put too many points of views across. I, I think in fiction it's important not to do that. Um, so, yeah, I just let my characters take the lead. Um, and, you know, knowing the nuance of, of what it was like to grow up really helped in writing the characters. Um, so, yeah, I, I was able to, to be very sensitive um, to their experiences and I, I was able to convey it in a way that, that is authentic and um, that, that was um, resonant to, to how they live their lives. We are speaking to Lang Liav, who is the author. Many of you will know her poetry. She has a new book out, a first-time uh, adult novel. Others were Emeralds. It's a novel about growing up in a highly racist, anti-Asian culture and society in Australia. Uh, Lang, we're going to take a 
short break now. I want to remind people of uh, our sponsor, Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics. And then I want to come back and I want to talk uh, a little bit more about social media and how things have changed since the 90s. So stay with us, everyone. We're with Lang Liav, uh, the distinguished poet and author, and uh, she has a new novel out. Others Were Emeralds will be back in two seconds. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can learn more about Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. We are talking with Lang Liab, the author of a, a wonderful new novel, Others Were Emeralds, a book about the 90s in Australia. Uh, Lang, one thing that's changed, I guess, over the last 30 years in terms of when you set your novel and today is the appearance of the Internet. Your, your book is uh, set in the last dying gasps, I guess, of an analog world. Is that coincidental? Um, yeah, in a way. Um, I just set it to my own timeline. Um, I is about my my protagonist is, is um, the same character, um, the same, sorry, the same age as me. Um, and um, I, I do remember what it was like with the advent of the internet and when, when it first came in. Um, I'm probably like um, the, the generation to, to really know what, what it was like to, to go through that time, you know, from, from when email became a thing to, um, you know, forums and then go, going into chat and um, IRC and what have you. So, yeah, there, there were things that I could, I could really write about in, um, in the book. How much do you think, Lang, technology has changed the world? You, you broke through in part with your popularity on social media you have uh, over half a million followers on Twitter, uh, as well as on uh, Instagram. Uh, I think you made a name originally on Tumblr. And on mm -hmm. Facebook, you have over a million followers. Do you think that social media has, in overall terms, acted against racism, changed the culture since the 90s? Has it played an important role? I think that's a really tricky question. I mean, I, I think the internet is, um, it, it's not a real representation of our world, if that makes sense. I, I think it's um, a place where the loudest voices, um, you know, get the most attention. And um, I think because of that, it is hard to, to really differentiate um, what is real and what isn't. So I, I think I have a very deep mistrust of what I see on the internet or, or what I read. Um, and you have to take everything uh, with a grain of salt because um, truly it is a place, I, I suppose, where um, the, the ones that do the best are, are based on outrage and anger and um, a lot of other negative things like that. I mean, there is also a lot of positivity and, and wonderful things with um, human beings connecting. But I, I think it's about just um, going into the internet with, with a very open mind and um, just resisting... Um, yeah, just resisting that natural impulse just to, you know, if you see something, to, to make judgments on it or to, to believe that it's actually true. But it does provide communities. You noted earlier that one of the experiences mm -hmm. of 
growing up in a, in in the racist world of Australia in the nineties was it was honestly yeah. isolating on the internet. There are always communities for everyone. At least that was the argument of many of the supporters of social media. You don't yeah. strike me as a particularly loud, abrasive person, but you have a significant mm -hmm. following. So it is possible to find people like yourself online, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I remember in the 90s, um, when I first got onto the internet, it was largely text-based. So, you know, we didn't have images or, or what have you. And I think that was my favourite time of the internet when everything was just text-based and um, you had this anonymity. And it, it, there was a sense of freedom there for me in that um, for the first time in my life, how I looked wasn't a factor and um, I could freely communicate without any prejudice or judgment. And um, I absolutely loved that era of the internet. Um, obviously, Tumblr as well, that's a very, um, even though there was imagery, it's a very, um, how do you say, a, a very insular social media. And I'm not on Tumblr anymore. That's not my account, by the way. I think that's just a fan account. Um, right. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I don't think anyone's on Tumblr anymore. No, no. I you did been make on your name, I think. It was one of the, the, the platforms that you made your name on originally. Yeah, absolutely. And it was um, still very text-based um, at the time. I wasn't really uploading any images or, or what have you. It was um, it was mainly just writing. And um, that's where I think I'm the most comfortable. If I had a choice between um, writing or speaking, I would definitely choose writing. Um, I, I just feel that it's, it's a more, um, you know, just a more natural way for me to, to communicate. But Lang, not necessarily speaking of yourself, but for for more in a, in a more broad context, should we welcome media that allows people to escape from how they look, and, and thereby closing the door on a kind of racism? Shouldn't everyone see what other people look like? Yeah, um, I I think yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was just talking from my point of view in the nineties. It's a completely personal point of view that I felt that freedom and I and I had that same exact feeling when I went to an Asian, all Asian country for the first time that I could just, you know, wander around incognito. And um, I, I think if you're a minority in a country and you're used to being stared at or you're, you've got all this unwanted attention, it, it's just such a lovely thing. So, um, yeah, I'm going more based on that. Um, in terms of the internet being more visible, I guess there, there, are, there are good things about that, absolutely, in that... Um, you know, I guess it's it's a lot harder to to um, cause a lot of um, mischief if you're you've got your face to something, even though that doesn't stop most people. Yeah, so absolutely agree. There are pros and cons, like with everything. What's your take, Lang, on what some people see as the the epidemic of anxiety amongst? especially younger people who have come online. Is there a connection? Some psychologists suggest that mm -hmm. we, we've got a, an infestation, an epidemic of anxiety that began in around 2012, which, of course, is when mm -hmm. the Facebooks and the Instagrams and the Twitters began to take off. Is there any mm -hmm. truth to that? Well, I'm not an expert on, on the um, topic, but um, I myself, I, I know what it's like to have anxiety. Um, and, you know, like I mentioned before, I'm, I'm not very good um, just, um, you know, showing my face or speaking like I am now. Um, it's not something that I'm, I've ever been super comfortable with. But, yeah, I, I, 
like I said, I'm not an expert on the topic. Um, I know what it's like to have anxiety and I absolutely empathise, um, you know, with people who struggle with anxiety. I know it can be quite debilitating. I, I remember probably in the early 2000s, um, I was going through a tough time and I was looking online, um, but there wasn't a lot of resources. So I'm glad that there's support and, and like you said, there's a community for that and people who who um, are struggling can can find solace and help in, in others. Are you concerned with the way in which social media today has become increasingly a, a refuge for hatred and hostility to people of different skins and genders and one kind of identity or another? Absolutely. I just think that, like I said, um, the internet isn't the real world. Um, and I, I think that's hard for a lot of young people to understand just because they've grown up always having the internet. But for those of us who know what it was like before the internet, um, I think it's a little bit easier for us to grasp the concept that it, that it isn't the real world and what you see is, is not real. And um, it's a representation and not a very accurate one. Um, so I, I wouldn't get too caught up in it. Um, I, that, that would be my advice. It, it, it's something that you can participate in, but you shouldn't live your whole life based on, on what you see or, or read online. You said that the internet is not the real world. Uh, you've just written a novel. Uh, others were emeralds. Is that the real world? Were you in, in some ways trying to create or recreate the real world in your novel? Well, I, th I think as, as authors, there's, there's always this process we go through when um, we're working on a manuscript. Well, for me, for me personally, um, when I work on a manuscript and um, the characters start to speak to me or they, they feel alive, then I, then I know it's, it's, um, it, it is going to be a book, if that makes sense. Um, I've started many novels and for whatever reason, the characters just never animate. And, um, yeah, um, I absolutely do feel that my characters, they, they feel real to me. Um, and I, I think that's just a lovely thing. Um, I, I feel sometimes that they drive decisions, they make their own choices, and they, they lead me down really interesting narrative paths. Can a novel be, in a sense, more real than the world itself, the physical world? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. I, I think there is just, um, there can be so much authenticity that to be found in fiction, and, and that's something that I've always believed, and fiction is something that I've always loved. But why is the authentic real? Some people might suggest you can create authentic characters in literature because they're not real, and that in the world itself, people aren't authentic. Well, I, I don't think it's a black and white thing. I, I just think that some people are authentic, other people aren't. Um, all people have their motives and, and agendas. I it's just something that I just try to stay away from. Um, I exist mainly in the real world and my real life. Um, and yeah, that's just um, from a personal standpoint. Lang, have you spent much time in the United States? Um, I visited a few times. Um, I was there on tour, so I haven't had an opportunity to, to really, you know, do all the touristy stuff, but I'd love to visit um, again. I, I had always planned to, but then, you know, there was COVID and, um, yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to come back. We in America, or maybe I, don't know, I can speak on behalf of Americans generally, but mm -hmm. in, in the late 
20 teens, of course, we went through the Trump years. Yeah. There's still many people fear um, an undercurrent of racism, of hostility to people of different mm -hmm. skins and races. During COVID, there was enormous hostility towards Asians in America. America's gone through these cycles mm -hmm. before. Yeah. The Japanese feeling during the Second World War. Yeah. What advice would you give Americans who are struggling with this? Not that Australia or New Zealand has necessarily overcome this, but what, no. what would you say to Americans who are struggling with the same racism and hostility that that you write about in 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 the in the novel others were emeralds and which you've experienced in your life it's just an absolutely horrible thing and the thing is i don't know what i can say because it, what it does is it puts you in a position where you're almost powerless um and you're always caught in this situation where like how far is going too far like if someone you know says um like a tries to speak to in your language is that condescending um you know are they doing it out of goodwill like it, it, it like how far does it go um and and that's a terrible thing about racism it makes you completely hypersensitive and and if you get it wrong um then it, you just um end up in in a much worse place and and, and it just um completely um you know you, you, you get um sorry i just lost my train of thought yeah, so, so what I'm trying to say basically is that um, I, I'm not sure what to say. Um, it's a terrible thing. It takes away your power and um, it's a horrible thing. And I think raising awareness about it is fantastic, um, definitely. And if you ever see someone going through that situation or they're being targeted, um, if you could just speak, speak up because um, a lot of racists are cowards and um, yeah i hope if i ever saw a group of men spitting on an eight-year-old girl i would yeah do something i mean we always like to think we would whether we're yeah. brave enough is an, is another mm -hmm. question did or did you or have you ever thought of just giving up the whole thing you mentioned going back to asia and being less <laughs> noticeable did you think to yourself uh at, at any point um i'm just going to go back to a community where everyone looks like mm -hmm. me well, yeah, it's tempting, but um, I love where I am and I, I feel that I am um, Australian and now I'm a New Zealander. Um, and that, that's, you know, I've been here many years. It's formed a part of my identity. And um, I think I'll be um, living either in New Zealand or Australia going forward. Why did you move from uh, Australia to New Zealand? Oh, I met my partner um, about, oh, was it like 13 years ago? And um, his son was here, so so we um, so I moved over here, and um, now Ollie, he's um, just turned twenty actually, and he, he's studying um, in in Australia. He's a physics major, so we're looking at possibly going going over there now to be closer to him. Do you think New Zealand is a slightly more tolerant society than Australia? Always has the reputation as as being. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I think so. Um, like I said, um, it, I can't really judge it just because I wasn't here during the 80s and 90s. But definitely since, since I've been here, um, uh, there have been definitely some, some cases of racism, but not to the extent that I experienced when I was younger. Well, final question, Lang. Um, as I said, you, your new book is out, your first novel, Others Were Emeralds. Um, mm -hmm. uh, should we expect more literature, more poetry, more fashion brands from Lang uh, Liab? What, what, what's your next project? 
Uh, well, I recently sold another book um, to Harper Perennial, which I'm very, very excited about. It's a novel and it should come out in 2025 and the character is in her late 20s. So we're going to the that period of the early, um, you know, the early advent of um, social media. So it's a very interesting, interesting look at that time um, from the perspective of a second generation immigrant. 